Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. This uh, this show's going to be pretty good, Ed. I'm, I'm kind of excited. Get to talk a little bit about defeat. Yes, yes. We get to talk about defeat and we get to talk about being the phoenix when it you feel like you're facing defeat. Oh, the Phoenix. And rising from the ashes. <laughs> yeah. Did you eight hey, you know what? That reminds me. Did you get to go see the Phoenix? Uh the X-Men Phoenix Rising or Dark Phoenix? I saw it. Yeah. What'd you think? Uh I felt like it should have been, you know, they stopped doing those two part movies, but I really feel like they could have done a two part movie on that. Um, because it just felt a little rushed to me. And I don't, I don't like what they did to my girl uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Not very happy about her. <laughs> yeah. Well, you no spoilers, no spoilers. Just in case, yeah, you yeah, never know. I, I, uh, I just yeah. don't. It wasn't fair. Yeah, I, I like uh, the young lady that plays uh, Jean Grey in it. She's pretty. She's pretty cool. Um, but I think that, from what I understand, though, like that kind of ends the whole the the whole series, the X Men, the newer X Men series, from what I'm understanding. Well, so here's the catch, though, because now Disney has acquired Fox. So the whole issue was Marvel didn't own the X-Men. Sony did, or Fox did. So that's why if you watch, like, television shows by Marvel, they don't say mutant. They say uh, enhanced or something else because they didn't own the term. Oh. Now okay. Disney has acquired the X-Men and, and Deadpool, which they're going to put somewhere different because of its rating, but... <laughs> So Disney may re- maybe Disney will relaunch it, but yeah, no, they were separate. So that's why when you look at stuff, uh, we used to watch Agents of Shield uh, on television, and they they're all about the mutants, but they never ever say the term mutant. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, I mean, it's funny. It just happened to be that you said the ri- the phoenix rising, you know, from right. defeat, and I thought to myself, well, nothing like phoenix, you know. Um, it's that's what today's show is about. It's about Basically, influence is learning from defeat. And I'm telling you, defeat can be one of those things that can turn you inside out. I've felt it before, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit later. But And I know Ed's probably felt it himself, but defeat is a setback. And that's what it is. It's a quick setback. Now, where we go from there depends, all right? Um, but what we wanted to do is... So we found this really good article. It's called Turning Defeat into Development. Once again, uh, last week, we brought up something up from the Green Notebook. Well, we, we found another one. We're like, man, this is really good. And I'll, I will tell you, I will add it to the show notes. Go check out their website. Ed, am I wrong by saying that you can become a contributor if you if you submit something to them? They do take contributors. They have a blog and, and there's a whole process to it. But yes, you can. And when you look in there, so I found another one that could potentially become another show. There's a lot of like series. So it'll be like five articles, you know, first in a series that could also be very informative. I like to read them. I do like, uh, so it's called, I call it one big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, every day I try. So my one big thing is to improve myself and continue to be a lifelong learner as a leader. And I read an article because it doesn't take a long time from the green notebook uh, every day. That's like the second thing I do in the morning on my calendar schedule after 
checking my emails and it's called one big thing. And the idea is to make it a habit. So every day you do that one thing you want to improve on. And that, that my, my leadership education is one of those things that I'm working on currently. So yeah, no, I read the green notebook every day. I read an article. Well, all right. Monday through Friday on the weekend. I don't. <laughs> hey, wasn't that something that the ninja used to do? Uh, he does read a lot. I forget where, you know where I got it from. I actually got the idea about one big thing from the green notebook. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I got it from there. The, the article about that. I'll have to find that article. Yeah, and it was interesting. And it's like basically saying you pick one thing you want to work on, that's your one big thing, and then you develop your plan on how and why you want to improve it. Da da da. And. Mine was to um, to do some professional reading daily and from the green notebook just fits, like I said. And we're going to talk in another episode about the calendar thing. So I have 15 minutes blocked out to read from the green notebook and I can reflect on what I read. So uh, and it's scheduled on my outlook calendar and we're going to talk about crowding our calendar in another episode. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for that. That's <laughs> We're going to record that very soon. And for those of you who don't know what that is, basically... Uh, we've talked about it multiple times already, and you've heard us talk about it, but Kevin Cruz has a great book. It is called Great Leaders Have No Rules, and we have decided we're going to turn that into a show. We're going to hit every single chapter. Um, Ed and I are going to bounce back and forth talking about each chapter, and what we would like to say is, is if you have a chance to read it, maybe listen to it, whatever you can, please do. Uh, it's going to be out very soon after this episode. I'm probably thinking it's going to be the very next episode. Just get the book and then skim over it. Look whatever you can. It is worth your time. Every second of it. I, I, I think, and you could do what each chapter by itself. Don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and it's something, I mean, I have 21 years of military experience, lots of leadership experience, and man, I learned so much stuff from it. Oh, yeah. And stuff that I've started putting into play already, I can't wait to talk about it. Oh, me too. I'm excited. But before we can do that, we have to finish today's show so we can record that show. And I was excited about this one too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of excited about this. But for us to really paint the picture about this whole turning defeat into development, we're going to pull what it has to say in this article. And it actually talks about Jack Dempsey, the uh, heavyweight champion of the world at one point uh, back in 1923. So here we go. On September 14th, 1923, over 80,000 spectators packed into the New York City Polo grounds to watch one of the most famous prize fighters in boxing history. The heavyweight champion, Jack Dempsey, who stood at 6'1 and weighed around 185 pounds, defended his title against Louis Furpo, the wild bull of Pampas. Furpo had two inches on Dempsey and outweighed him by 35 pounds. This matchup was so popular, it didn't even need commercials or Facebook ads to promote it. For example, <laughs> Dempsey's train up prior to the fight drew 3,000 people a day to watch the champ prepare, and the gate alone drew $1.2 million in 1920s money. Wow. As soon as the bell rang, the two fighters gave everyone their money's worth. Within the first few minutes, both boxers found themselves on their backs after some brutal exchanges. Dempsey knocked Furpo down seven times in the first round, and he probably thought he had the fight in a bag. With less than 30 seconds remaining, 
Ferpo caught Dempsey with a blow that sent him through the ropes, head first, onto one of the tables below. The referee began his count. As the referee counted, Dempsey, with assistance from the ringside riders, got back into the ring. He was bloody from the gash on his head after he hit Paul Galico's typewriter. Even as he tried to regain his wits, the wild bull didn't give him a break. Jack continued to dodge punches until the round ended, and he was able to stagger to his corner and prepare for a second round. He used the break to reflect on what just happened to him. The bell rang, and this time Dempsey had learned from his mistakes. He changed his approach. He avoided the same wild punches that caught him the first round. The two fought for another 57 seconds, and with a right hook to Furpo's chin, Jack Dempsey delivered the winning blow that won the fight. So how many of us have found ourselves in Dempsey's shoes? We believe we are winning in our jobs, our relationships, or the achievements of a personal goal when we catch an unforeseen punch to the face, knocking us out of the ring. It is in these moments that we have a decision to make. We can either let failure defeat us, define us, or develop us. Ooh. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into some of this, uh, some of these areas where he just talked about the defeat us, define us or develop us. And it's basically three approaches we can take to any type of uh, defeat or failure or, or basically area where we see we didn't meet the mark. It's recognizing, right? So I was really thinking about the Jack Dempsey situation and, you know, the second round when he demonstrated that he had learned something, even at his age. He did a lifelong learning. Mm, that's called lifelong learning. <laughs> <laughs> and adjusted. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to get into this. Yeah. I, I mean, and the fact that, uh, you know, you look at the he, he basically fell out of the ring. Mm-hmm. Gashed his head wide open from a typewriter. So his head hit a typewriter. And it's not like, you know, things are much different nowadays. <laughs> uh, the equipment itself, just the equipment itself that you use for boxing matches and the ring and stuff is nothing like it is today. Uh, I can only imagine what the ropes felt like as he was going through them and then, you know, hitting that floor, probably some hard concrete floor somewhere in a, you know, it says the New York City Palo grounds. But yeah, so, and there's actually, um, when we put the link in the show notes for the article, Brian, there's a YouTube video. Just uh, if you go on YouTube and search Jack Dempsey versus Luis Angel Furpo, September 1923, the video for the fight is in there. Oh, no way. Yeah. So I'm going to have to check that one out. I'll put it in the show notes. Also, I'll link that video too, just in case so people can see it. But to me, it wasn't like he took a long time, though. You know, Ed? He. He literally went He and, and a round ended. He thought about it for a moment because, you know, they're, they're only, they only get to rest for a short period of time. Then he got back after it again. So it wasn't like, okay, I sat there and I just dwelled upon it and all this stuff. I had all this time to really contemplate all these different life events. No, literally he had split seconds that he had to get things done. Yeah. And, that shows you how quickly you can reflect on something too. Cause I mean, that's what he's doing. He's reflecting on, wow, this dude is, this dude is smashing me in the, in the mouth right now. How can I stop this? And in that quick moment that you're talking about, he reflected on it and was like, okay, I got to change my approach. I got to avoid these wild shots uh, so that I can not lose this fight. I'm the heavyweight champion. So 
Yeah, I think it's good. That we, and we've talked several times about reflection and how important it is. And I mean, here we see it. Not Maybe he's not reflecting in a leadership environment, but he is really, even in the influence, he's teaching us about reflection in that video. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. All right. So when failure defeats us, too often we allow unforeseen setbacks to stop us in our tracks. We look up from the writer's table at ringside and see no possible way to get back in the ring. We quickly move through the stages of grief and wave the white flag in defeat. I've seen this happen time and time again throughout my career. A soldier or leader will make a mistake and when the outcome results in negative feedback, they quit. I've even succumbed to this myself as I've given up on professional goals when I hit unforeseen roadblocks along the way. Man. Okay. To give you an example of this, um, for those of you, those in the Army, you know what an Article 15 is. Those of you who don't know, because you're not in the service, an Article 15 is Article 15 is an article within the Uniform Code of Military Justice. But normally what happens is if a soldier gets in trouble for something, they could receive UCMJ or the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And it's, it's a form of punishment, like a formal punishment that they get for doing something they shouldn't. Long story short, each time that I've had to partake or, or I have to be present at a uh, UCMJ hearing or Article 15, one of the key things I like to tell the soldier who is receiving the punishment is don't allow what happened to you define you. Instead, allow your actions after that to define who you are. And it's to get them out of that, I'm allowing Farrah to defeat me no matter what, and I'm just giving up. Yeah, and uh, I think we see this quite a bit in the military, unfortunately. I know at the academy, you know, think about when we administer the <clears throat> the Army physical fitness test and a young soldier fails. And sometimes that young soldier, they don't know how to handle failure because of the generation they grew up in, maybe. And they they hang their head low. And, and you know, I used to walk down the hallway uh, and I would see soldiers, whether they were my platoon or not, and i said, say, what's your head down for? Okay, you failed. Get over it. Do what you need to do and pass the retest and you'll still graduate this course. But don't don't get negative and be like, that's it. I give up um, and try to boost. You know, you try to boost that soldier up because, again, you know, we can say what we want about the different generations, but we call them, the, you know, everybody gets a trophy. But if I keep giving you a trophy, then you don't know what it's like to not get the trophy. And when you get to the where we worked at and you fail, mm -hmm. that might be the first time that soldiers ever experienced failure. And now they don't know how to deal with it. So that's one of the things about failure defeating us. It's easy if you don't know what failure feels like. Absolutely. And, but, you know, and at the same time, Ed, I would say how we communicate the failure too. Uh, for instance, if I'm one of those uh, negative type creatures where I literally dwell upon somebody else's failure at them in communication wise, well, I mean, obviously I, you, you could take it as, Oh wow! Everyone just thinks I'm a failure, and and this is why this is why I say this. I, I brought this up as a point to uh, some of my senior NCOs just recently, and I told them how they approach everything. Like for instance, each week as we go out and when we're in another country, we're literally the ambassador of our country in another country. It, it doesn't it doesn't if something goes bad, it doesn't read First Sergeant Weber did blah blah blah. No, instead it says U.S. soldier did blah blah blah. Right. It'll, it will definitely define us and it makes us look bad. But one of the things I told them is, is I want you to, you know, kind of look at how we communicate our expectation. 
If I look at somebody and I say, hey, dirtbag, don't don't mess up this weekend. The first thing they're going to think is, well, he must think I'm a dirtbag because I called him a dirtbag. And uh, who cares if I mess up because I'm already a dirtbag. Instead, if we approach it is, hey, listen, you are doing amazing things. You are a stellar soldier. Hey, I can't wait to see you again on Monday. Keep up the good work. Whoa. That means now my expectations are high about that person, right? And then they feel that on the opposite side. It goes the same way with a failure. If if somebody fails at something, let's say somebody owes a report, right? At, at, a, at a particular company some, in, in the civilian industry. And the report doesn't come in on time because maybe... Maybe something happened. Maybe there was an emergency. Maybe they didn't get enough data crunch to, to get the report filled out. If we dwell upon that failure of not getting the report done, then are they really going to you know be able to work harder or are they going to work out of fear instead of the ownership? You know, there's all those kinds of things. So that's kind of how I, that's like my little take on it. I think it's how we support the failure also as an influencer can help people get through it. Yeah, no, you make a you make a great point, and so for those that don't know, and and what we do in the military, different military occupation specialties communicate in different manners. So very much, one may the, the norm is, "Hey, dirtbag," like that's the norm. But in another, that's probably not going to work. You know. Um, and that's a culture thing. Again, a future episode, we're going to talk about culture. That's a culture that they have. So that soldier fails. He already knows what's going to happen to him if he's in the from uh, if he's from the hey dirtbag culture. They're going to come over. They're going to yell. They're going to scream. They're going to cuss. They're going to, you know, they're going to PT me till I can barely stand. That that's their culture. That doesn't make it right, but that's what they understand. So honestly, the the way the leadership responds to that failure, you're hundred percent right. That, 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 that could drive the failure even more. That could make the soldier feel like a failure instead of trying to give him some kind of positive uh, assurance or support. Absolutely. You want to read the next one and give us a little insight on it? Oh, absolutely. When failure defines us, even worse than allowing failures to defeat us is when we allow it to define us. This can be especially problematic when the cause of the failure was nothing more than bad luck. Too often, I've witnessed leaders in the military fail at a position or a task and allow that event or season of their career to define who they are as individuals. Their heads hang a bit lower and all facets of their life are affected because they see themselves as failure. Out of the three options, this is by far the worst. We have to remember that failure and success are equal partners in helping us gain experience. Thus, there is a third option. We can allow the experience to teach us to develop us and let failure become the seeds for future success. So great throughout military history, right? Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's very few examples of a leader that just was never defeated. But they didn't let it define them. Now, Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo, when he gets defeated, that defined him moving forward. Now, he's in the twilight of his career, and he's done some amazing military things, and he's been who we all know Napoleon to be. Not necessarily a great person, but a military uh, genius. But he let that define him, and that's pretty much the end of the Napoleon legend. But other leaders, I mean – Let's think about the 101st, right? You and I both served the 101st, 
And the 101st at uh, Market Garden in the Netherlands, right, at Arnhem Bridge, that Operation Market Garden was a failure. They did not succeed. But yet the 101st still is one of the most historic units in the military. They still went on to do great and amazing things after that operation. So they didn't let that define who the organization was or them as a people. They let that move on. You know, they grew from it. Okay, we got it. This, this, this went wrong. We talked about ARs. How can I correct that? And that's where you got to be careful because you can't just let, uh, you know, that mistake, that failure define you. What it does is it creates, uh, let's say, uh, that failure, that failure is a wound, right? And then the wound's going to heal and you're going to develop some scar tissue there. Now that surface is stronger than it was before. That's what you do with failure. You let it build and make you a stronger, better leader, not become a loser. Market Garden, you mentioned that. And that's what the name of Range Road, Range Road is on Fort Campbell. Uh, basically, it's a huge long road, those of you listening. And it's where you find all, most of the ranges and stuff. Uh, but it that's a place of training, a place of development. Uh, it's, it's the road that leads to a lot of area of training and development, which at the same time, I think it's kind of funny, is it also that that particular incident led to them learning from the mistakes and building on from it. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. Uh, I wanted to take a piece though. I found, I, I, well, actually Ed found it and he, he told me about it. Um, it's from an article called Rebounding from Career Setbacks. But basically uh, a psychiatrist by the name of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she is quoted in saying, they start with shock and denial about the events and more on to anger at the company or the boss bargaining over their fate, and then protracted period of licking their wounds and asking themselves whether they can ever regain the respect of their peers and team. Many of them never make it to the acceptance stage. So what, and what she basically stated is, is that, you know, and when I think of, you know, failure defining us is we go through these, these stages of basically stages of grief uh, when we're, when we're defeated in an instance, uh, let me let me give a, a personal example of this. Uh, Some time back, I was a recruiter for three years in Ohio. As a recruiter, uh, I, I got to go to a promotion board. I was a Sergeant E five, and then I got to co- go to a promotion board to become a, a Staff Sergeant E six. Uh, I went to the promotion board. I became promotable, but then shortly after I received promotable status my MOS disappeared from the army. It completely disappeared. Um, the only, the only place you could find my MOS was military occupational skill was in the national guard, but I couldn't get promoted within the national guard. And then I couldn't get promoted with an active duty. So literally I was just a person who was in the service who could not, who could not move up or, you know, move up or down ranks because I had no MOS. And to me, even though that wasn't, a failure that I took on um, as something I created, I took it as a failure because I didn't take the time or, or, or try to request prior to becoming a recruiter to change my MOS to the new one, um, which obviously I am now. But I took on this failure and many months went by that I could not get promoted. So I couldn't move up. I couldn't progress. 
and instead what I did, I allowed myself kind of to kind of dwell upon that a little bit more than I should have, which to me that fell into that failure defeats us. But at the same time, I felt like it defined me because I said, I can't control this. I'm just going to move on. And that's what I did. I couldn't control it. I moved on and I allowed it to define me and my character. And when I say me, my character is I said to myself, hey, you can still learn from things. That whole lifelong learning that Ed talks about every time you hear him. I, I had no idea what lifelong learning is, but I was like, I can learn from this. I can move forward from this. And that's what I did. And I just kept driving on, driving on and trying to figure out ways to you know make this this bad thing that happened, turn it into something good. And sooner or later, I, I was promotable or I was, was promoted. But I felt like in that instance that that failure, that, that, that felt like failure, it, w- it was defining who I was more on the native side than it could. But that's, that's my take on that. How about you, Ed? What do you got, buddy? Well, so here's, here's one of the things. So, you know, Brian, you played high, you played high school football, Al. I mean, Brian. And uh, I also played high school football. And high school football comes to mind when we talk about really this whole thing. So you're, you, did you play offense or defense, Brian? Um, I played both ways, but I was more of a defensive player. I enjoyed defense way more. So I also enjoyed defense more because I just liked hitting things back then. I was an angrier youth. But on the, on the offensive side, let's think about one of the early lessons, at least for me, was when you get hit, keep driving your legs, right? Keep pumping your legs. Keep trying to move forward. So yes, I think about that. So if I'm a running back, and I was not a running back, but if I'm a running back and I come through the line and that linebacker hits me, right? Bang. Do I fall down? No, because then it's going to be like, well, he's an easy uh, tackle. As soon as you hit him, he's going to fall down. I don't fall down. I keep driving my legs, and I do the best I can to try to push that linebacker further back. If I get another yard, right, that's a success. I got another yard more than if I had just let his, you know, let that impact define who I was as a player. What if he falls off? I might get. 10, 15 more yards, right? So that was one of the early lessons is just drive your legs. And that's what I'm thinking about here. Don't let the impact stop who you are as a leader. Keep pumping and moving your legs and do your best to keep advancing. And and that is turning, um, you know, that's what what the episode's all about. It's turning defeat into development, man. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny you brought up the whole football analogy thing because as soon as you brought that up, it took me to another place uh, of of a previous experience. And I think about it. Uh, So high school football, let me Al Bundy it real quick. It was a senior year. Our senior team um, and, and the team that we had when I was a senior, it was an amazing team. Like we we should have taken it all the way. And I'll explain what happened. Um, and, and the funny thing is, is just, I mean, a couple months ago, one of uh, one of my buddies who's now writes books, um, great guy, he made a comment. Um, he had took the article about us getting defeated during the playoffs. And he made a comment about how he replays that. He's replayed that millions of times and every time we should have won. So we're in the, we had the playoffs came and we were in the Eastern Maine Championship round uh, and we we're going to play Gardner. Well, Friday night was when the game was supposed to be. 
and it snowed like nobody's business. In, in Maine, if you've ever dealt with a massive snowstorm, it is crazy. We had a choice. We all had a choice, and we all voted, could we just play the next day? Or we play that night. Well, many of us were still fired up, and we all wanted to get after We knew we could beat them because we'd already beat them during the season, and they couldn't handle us. <laughs> we, said, we decided we are going to play that night. So we played that night, and we got our butts handed to us like nobody's business. It was just another just i'm telling so they had spikes like so um you know you can screw in your spikes and your cleats and whatnot and they had longer spikes than us and they had warmer clothing than us on and they just and they were just making plays happen and it was like we couldn't stop them and i mean it was just it was upsetting and we were and we lost we were basically they saw us as the the ones who were supposed to take the state championship that year because that's how good we were. And we had some amazing, just amazing players. Tommy Waterman, Lucas Turner, uh, Chucky Day. Uh, oh, goodness. Uh, there's, I mean, we had running backs. We had uh, McLean was his last name. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember his first. We had, we had uh, oh, Tim Lee LeBlanc, uh, just all these great guys. I mean, amazing guys. I would, I would definitely have loved to have served in the military with them because I know Dagon well. They would have been great leaders, many of them. So later that year, uh, it was just not too much longer, uh, maybe a month or so later, the uh, the all state thing came out. Like you know, like basically the list of who made all state and who didn't. And I didn't make all state. I got honorable mention that year. And I just felt like like everything. Like I just felt so defeated. And I made a comment in front of one of the guys. Uh, and I was like, man, what a waste of a season, I said. And I, and I, at the time, I really felt it, you know, because we had lost our, our chance to win a championship. We had basically, we, I didn't make the All-State like I thought I was going to make. And somehow, the coach found out about it, Coach Gabby Price. Let me tell you something. Gabby Price, amazing coach. Uh, he, he, I think he just finally retired again. He was coaching college football up there. We're talking that guy, he could just motivate us no matter what. And every day, I, I, I'm always thankful for Gabby Price and what he taught me to be a leader. He grabbed me one day and he said, I'm sorry to hear that you feel that way. And I was like, what do you mean, coach? And he said, you know, the, you know, the fact that you thought it was a waste of season. He said, because I didn't think it was. I thought, I thought there was a lot of growth, a lot of learning, a lot of leadership that happened there. And I think it was a great season. And I, I felt like doo-doo like total garbage because I allowed my thought process and that, that thought of being defeated to overwhelm me and define me. So let's fast forward. Oh, I want to say it was 2007. So you think that took place about 98. So then 2007, I actually went back to Maine for a little while. I took my, I took my wife up there and we visited coach price and I looked at him in the face and I said, coach, I mean, and he had nothing, he had nothing, I just want, I loved his respect and I respected him. And I said, coach, I'm so sorry for ever saying that. And he's like, what do you mean, Brian? You know, and he talks in that, that main accent, right? What do you mean, Brian? You know? <laughs> uh, and I was like, I'm so sorry that I, you know, would even feel that way. You were right the whole time. That was a successful, it was a great season. We had wonderful guys. We had guys learning and, and all this stuff. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. You know? And it was just, but I felt like, that it had defined me at that moment. And I was so ashamed for saying something like that, that I shouldn't have said. 
I really had to apologize, even though it was, oh, oh goodness, 11 years later. So, but that's, that's just another take on that whole failure <laughs> defining us. No, that's, uh, you make, you know, the point is really good and you learn from it though. So I don't think that it defines you because you did some growth and you, and you learn from it and you realize that, you know, that probably wasn't the, uh, the mindset. So I would argue that maybe you didn't let it define you, that the, it could have. If we took it in stages. Yeah, I think that you had some. Maybe if we took it in stages. Yeah, I think some mentorship happened that, that helped you actually grow from it. So that's a uh, that's a positive. Yeah. Uh, I think it also leads us into your next point, Brian. Absolutely. Letting failure develop us. Many of the mistakes I made early on in my career have served to enable my success later on. Like Jack Dempsey, I returned to my corner licked my wounds, reflected on my failures, and developed a better strategy to win. In a 2014 HBR article, authors offer some great advice for recovering from getting knocked out of the ring. First, they suggest that we examine the failure and figure out what happened and determine the causes. Second, we should look for ways to turn the loss into an opportunity for a future success. For example, if a career door slams shut on us, it might allow us to pursue another path that wasn't available to us before we stumbled. Finally, after we review the options on the table, we seize the right one and move forward. Whew, man, that is uh, those three steps right there. Did that I mean boom, boom, boom. That's exactly how to tackle failure. I, I, you couldn't explain that any better. Basically, licking those wounds and then looking for another course of action to go at. You know, it's it, it, it it's the idea of you mentioned with a running back, right? The running back gets hit. Do they just drop right there, or do they try to continue on and get that extra yard? Do they try to spin off of it? Do they try to stiff arm it? Do they try to juke and then shoot another gap and then get hit again and then try? I mean, like when you mentioned that, Ed, I literally, you know, what I thought of was uh, Barry Sanders. Absolutely, just, just the amazing, like that guy, how he could move on the field even after he got hit was just phenomenal and or how he could he could go one direction you know 100 miles an hour and then all of a sudden shift without tearing anything and then go another direction 100 miles an hour yeah and so i'm gonna use barry so the first step right suggests that we examine the failure figure out what happened and determine the cause so barry sanders is running towards the sideline he's supposed to cut up the you know the edge of the field and there's all kinds of defenders there waiting to hit him so first thing he's got to do is to figure out, well, why are, why are the defenders not blocked? This is he, he was so quick, too. So he's figuring this out right now. Now, while he's figuring out, all right, if they're here, then I should be able to go back this other way. And that's when you would see him change direction. That's the second step. Look for ways to turn the loss into an opportunity for future success, right? So now he's going back mm-hmm. the other way. Um, and then from there, he's like, okay. I got my options. I made my selection. I'm going back this way. And then next thing you know, Barry Sanders is, you know, off and running for uh for a touchdown. And it's the same thing in your in your organization. Just because, you know, you, you hit some resistance, that doesn't mean, oh, that's it. I'm done. No. All right. So if that happened, you know, what can I do to get around that? Oh, I wasn't supposed to be speaking to this organization 
uh, to get this thing to happen. It's actually this one or this one, right? And now I'm looking at those, and then I'm going back to those organizations say, hey, here's what I require. Oh, that's, you know, this is this. This is how you do it. Now I got some success. Um, so that's all it is. It's very quick, though. I don't think it's a long, drawn-out process. I just don't believe that. I think the Barry Sanders analogy really makes sense. Boom. That's not going to work. I could go this way or this way. All right. If they're all here, that means that way should be open. I'm gone. So also just an amazing person to watch run. Even if you don't like football, I think it would be interesting to just watch Barry Sanders run the ball. Yeah, you know, and it's funny how they say, too, um, they said if Barry was on the Cowboys instead of Emmett, he, no one would have ever touched his records. Oh, yeah, no, no. He never had anybody to block for him. Barry did a lot of it on his own. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he made his own pathways, but I, I could just imagine. Uh, he's He is a phenomenal running back, uh, but – yeah. So when we look at that, though, we talk about letting failure develop us. We, you know, we we talk about lifelong learning all the time. Yes. And and how we're always trying to learn. Just that statement alone, to me, of lifelong learning, you're learning from life itself. How many times has defeat happened to you, and you have to rebound from it? Or you have to you have to learn from it, and then you move on and you do something different or better. Instead of giving up, you can't give up. There's no need to give up. Give up, giving up, or becoming a poor sport, or you know, and and that's another one too. Like being a poor sport about things. Instead of if you lose to someone, you congratulate them on their loss, on on their win, and you're and and you take those licks and you develop from there. What did I do wrong? What did what can I do to be better? You basically do an AAR. We've talked about it before. What was supposed to happen? What happened? What are the things that we can sustain? What do we need to improve? And then what will I do better next time? You take those elements of of any type of defeat, and if you can answer those honestly and openly, and maybe even have somebody else to help you too, because sometimes that's it's nice to have outside feedback. But if you can take those statements, you can come back stronger than before easily but you have to learn from it and that's that's the key point of it man like i said before brian i'm in a point in my career where i'm learning some new stuff and um as part of that like there's things that i miss so i recently hosted a, a an event like a meeting and i i spoke to one of the organizations that was not there and they said well why weren't we invited and i said well, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't tracking that I needed to invite you. That's that's on me. I, like I failed to invite you. And first of all, the person was taken aback a little bit that I just openly said, "Yeah, that was my fault. I failed." But now I know. Okay, so I messed that up. But when I organized this same event, I know to send an invite to them. Now I know to get out of, in front of it. Um, the event that I, I actually hosted. I had people say, Hey, I'm going to be there. And then no show. Right. So to me, I took that as a, as a, as a failure on my part, but then I immediately went to, okay, so why didn't they, why, why did they not show up? How can I fix that? And then that's when I was like, okay, so I know now seven days out from the event, I need to follow up and say, Hey, we're seven days out. Are you still going to attend, you know, this conference? So it, that's all. It, it, that's what we're talking about. Like I could have easily been like, "Well, I don't understand why they didn't show up." I, I'm not changing anything. No, learn from it, 
develop from it, and then the next time correct it. So, like you said with the AR, that's exactly what you have to do as a as a leader, and then you have to be able to do it with your subordinates and communicate that to them because they're going to experience. Of frustrations. Do I get frustrated when a soldier fails the physical fitness test? Yes, I find it frustrating because I'm over 40 and I still can pass it. So I know what I need to do. So when I see the the soldier fail it, you know, I do take that like, okay, that's not cool, but I don't tell them that. I still go out there and say, okay, here's how we're going to get you to where you need to be. Da 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 da. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Help them learn from, okay, yeah, you failed that. Why did you fail that? And then really, and I think you'd be very good at this, those questions. So why do you think you did so poorly? Well, you know, I've been eating out or something may come up and you'd be like, okay, well, do you think that that played a role? What percentage of of that do you think it played, uh, of the role do you think it played? And now they're learning something. They're going, oh, man, it's my, you know, I haven't, uh, I've been sandbagging or laying back during runs at PT during physical training, and that's why I failed to run because I don't put my effort out. Now we got something, right? We got something. We got a spark in their mind. They're like, oh, maybe I need to put a little more effort in because a lot of people, at least a soldier I've experienced, they take it personal. When they fail, yeah, they first they want to blame everybody else, but eventually in their deep in their mind, they're like, I can't believe I did that, you know, especially seniors. Once we get into leadership positions, that's a bigger thing than I can't believe I failed, so. Yeah. All right. So two things. First thing is, is what you brought up there. Actually, I do have to, uh, I do that um, because every time somebody uh, fails an APFT, I count, I personally counsel them and go through the whole counsel statement. But then also uh, they do what I call first sergeant PT. I lead a, every week I have a group. If they, if they happen to fail, they come and they work with me and I show them other ways that we could be achieving our goals. Um, could, because one of the things I talk to them about is, is when we have a failure, we pull them away from what it was they failed, we fix them, then we put them back in a broken system that will recreate that ongoing path. Right? It continues on. It's kind of like it's it's kind of like the definition of insanity. You know, you keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different, yeah, different results. So, and I explained to them as part of that when they when so what you said about asking them the questions of all these things like, Hey, where do you think you were, your weakness was and why do you think it's that? And, and I, I like to peel back that onion as John Rogers would say to get them to tell me why they failed. Right. And to, and to actually dig into it. But at the same time, as we're going through the first sergeant PT program, I also try to train them on how not only they can improve themselves, but also they can build their team. So what we do is, is a lot of the things we do, we do as partners throughout the, the first RPT. It's all about partners because it's encouragement. It's a, it's, it's encouragement based, it's positive reinforcement and it's competitive in nature, but you're not always competing about against the other person. Many times you're competing against yourself. So like, for instance, I took, I recently just took the, um, uh, the ACFT uh, through the uh, through the uh, the mobilized trainers who come around and and then I got certified for the ACFT the new Army Combat Fitness Test for those of you who want to know and I took many of the elements of what they do or what that consists of that test consists of and I broke it up into small other pieces for physical fitness in itself so I I 
I do uh, different exercises that correlate well to the ACFT in, in not even having to go into a gym, to tell you the truth. But with that, they like they have one. It's like a, it's almost like a not a circuit, more like a, um, it's like a relay almost. Like they have to complete every single old task. It's like seven or eight. It's eight actually. It's eight tasks, and they have to get all these eight done within a certain you know basically a stopwatch. And then the job is they have to do four times. They have to go through it four times. And their goal is to take and be faster than their fastest time on it uh, for the first three on their last one when they're most tired, you know, and it's taking that, that failure or that, that, that defeat and they're defeating their previous wins. Does that make sense? I used to like, (laughs) when I was learning and teaching myself to play basketball, you know, I would take shots, uh, free throws. And that was always my goal. Okay. Well you made, you made 15 out of 20. You got to make 16 on this next one. Like just that one. And I said before, I'm a stat guy too. So that would actually be that, what you're saying would be actually a great motivation tool for me. Right now. Let me, uh, let me pose this also one of our favorite books, extreme ownership yep. by Jocko willing. One of, one of the first stories he tells in there is about taking on extreme ownership because of a failure. And allowing to basically take ownership of it so there will not be another failure. He could be developed from it. And that's what happens in that, you know, because basically when you read the book, those of you, if you've not read it yet, it's kind of weird because we've talked about it a lot, but that's okay. Read it if you haven't. In that book, he talks about uh, one of the uh, Iraqi soldiers who fights alongside of the Navy SEALs. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that person got killed during an operation and that's a that's a major that was a major problem that i mean that's that's called green on green and you don't want that you don't want you don't that's that's bad juju across the board and they had to brief higher ups about this stuff and when it came time jocko stood in front of the man and said this is my fault i failed but i can fix this if you let me and what did they do they allowed him to continue on as the commander of Tusk Unit Bruiser, yep. and they continue on, the, and then they were they were very successful throughout many of their missions. Um, so it's you know it's funny like we read this article like one of our favorite books. It basically defines all of that about that ownership mindset, and that's what letting failure develop you is is taking ownership. All right, so right here, while the lessons from this article are critical to our resiliency as individuals. I believe that they are equally important to internalize as leaders. Our subordinates are going to fail. Wow, that's that's a definite. I I can tell you right now, that's a small sentence. Our subordinates are going to fail. Absolutely, but we don't always expect it. All right, and it is our reaction to that failure that helps them figure out whether they are going to allow the failure to defeat, define, or develop them. We can also coach them through the process of reflection through counseling so that they can unpack the failure to find those lessons they can use to enable future success. If our negative reaction to failure is over the top or we fail to coach our subordinates through the episode, we might instill in them a fear of failure. 
Many senior leaders have fallen from grace in the military, not because they failed, but because of unethical behavior that arose out of a fear of failure. Down the road, they cut corners, cheated, fudged numbers, or they covered up setbacks to avoid failure at all costs. This might have been avoided if someone early on in their careers approached their setbacks differently. Wow. Ed, I'll tell you right now. So what they're talking about there, that fear of failure, that's an actual phobia. When I went through, I took psychology uh, for my bachelor's degree. Right. One of the things that we, we had to, we had to look up some different things and it was almost like a self-assessment we had to also do. And it turned out that like, that was one of my major setbacks uh, uh, through the assessment of that I had a fear of failure. And what I was finding was, uh, is I needed to be more mindful of what I was doing. And it wasn't because that I was I was cutting corners or cheating or fudging numbers, stuff like that. Instead, what I was doing, and you may remember when I was working in the, yep. the S3, their previous yep. organization, right? I was allowing myself to work unbelievable hours. Like when I say unbelievable hours, like I was, when I say working late, I was working crazy late on all kinds of different products because I was taking on so much and I didn't want to fail and people knew I wouldn't fail. So what happens when you have a, when you have somebody who's going to produce and they're not going to, they're not going to allow for failure. You usually you give them the task and that's not the right way to do things. Absolutely not. And we've talked about this before. No, because you burn out the, uh, mm-hmm. you burn out your your yep. your your thoroughbred racehorse if you do that. But it is mm-hmm. unfortunately that's a norm yep. for people to do that. See, my whole career, like, that's a normal thing. And yeah. You have your go-to person. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is, is when I had to do that paper and I did all that research on it, that's when I became aware of it, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, I've got to fix this behavior." I've got to do something about this. <laughs> and that's when I became more self-aware. I had more mindfulness of what was going on. And I, and I started learning how to divvy things up so I wouldn't take on too much. And my fear of failure wouldn't get the best of me. So, but yeah, that's, that's my, my little take on that piece, man. Yeah. So, you know, um, we've already talked about our, our upcoming book episode, but this made me think of it. So one of the things is, so um, the the count, crowd your calendar thing, that's supposed to help you stop doing what you were doing, the late working and the ridiculous hours. It's supposed to help raise awareness. But the other thing is, so you know in the book, they really talk about us as a military. And they talk about how we have uh, 297 days of mandatory training to conduct in 256 days. And it talks about... Uh, how we openly admit that, yeah, we fudge numbers. We've uh, we've had one person do all the training for the entire platoon. So like, or two people doing 30 people's worth of training. Well, that's because we don't want to report to the commander, hey, we didn't get this training done on time. That's that fear of failure. We're afraid to fail because we're afraid how to look on our evaluation or we're afraid of the perception it will give on. So I think that this is really... You know, he's talking about right here down the road. They cut corners, cheated, fudged numbers, or covered up setbacks to avoid failures at all costs. And in the Great Leaders Have No Rules uh, book, he he highlights that in the chapter called Have No Rules. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, 
when I read this part of our negative reaction to fair is over the top or we fail to coach our subordinates through the episode. First thing I thought of, Ed, was toxic influence or toxic leaders. That's because that to me that's a form of toxicity. Yeah. Instead of yep. being instead of being the helper, you're you're hurting. Yeah, and that goes back to like we talked about earlier in this show, the the certain military occupation specialties, like the way they would respond to the, an incident like this, it's, it's not helpful. I, I get it. That's y'all's culture as y'all perceive it. It's not helpful to yell and scream at people and belittle them. It's more helpful to pick them up, dust them off, and show them the right path. Exactly. So next time life unexpectedly sends you into Gallico's typewriter, Don't let it defeat or define you. Allow it to develop you. As leaders, this lesson is critical to our success and to the success of our organization. When our subordinates fail, we should be like the ringside riders and help them back on their feet. If not, they would develop an unhealthy fear of failure. When we view failure or setbacks as the tuition for experience, we learn quicker and are able to get back on our feet like Jack Dempsey. I loved that. Setbacks as the tuition for experience. <laughs> that's a Yeah, that's it. And you know, I didn't catch that when I read the article originally, yeah. but now it's like wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, definitely. It, it that makes me that makes me think about the, you know, the whole pay the bill for leadership capital, right? It's it, it I feel like it's yeah. the same. I think it's kind of like that same. Man, I I just need to have a board where I can just put all these different sayings on it that just kind of help me read. You know, it's like you need those little cues in life to kind of re-engage your brain just like that where you think about, okay, so that setback is basically just my tuition for experience, you know, or failing forward as as John Maxwell says, you know, you're always failing forward. Um, failing forward. I think it's Thomas Edison um, he came, it was a quote by Thomas Edison where he stated that I didn't have, let there be light. <laughs> no, that's, that's in the Bible, buddy. Um, no, it was, it was when, you know, he was creating the, uh, the light bulb. He said it wasn't a thousand failures. It was just a thousand ways not to do it. That's all. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I personally, Brian, I like setbacks. I like, uh, I like, uh, opportunities to challenge myself not to be defeated because I, I, I like to learn from it. I like to be like, okay, all right, that didn't work out. Um, and that's why I enjoyed what we did at the academy, the teaching, because, you know, every class was different. So maybe this class, it didn't work out how I wanted to teach this block of instruction and the students weren't clicking. But the next class, that same technique could have worked or I could change it and tweak it to try to reach, you know, especially in the beginning when we were learning to uh, facilitate, you know, you're there and you're dry and you're boring. Right. Remember, we used to read. Mm -hmm. And then as you get better, you step away from that. And the next thing you know, you're doing exercises or or, uh, little team building events in the classroom to learn the material and you get better and better and become a dynamic teacher. I enjoyed that aspect. I like being challenged to have to think my way out of a defeat situation. Yeah. And, and you, know, you think about it, though, when you think back, because always hindsight's twenty twenty, right? When you think back, you never saw what your capabilities were going to be. You know, for instance, when I was first told, oh, yeah, you're going to do this class to learn how to be an instructor and you're you're going to learn how to be an instructor and you're going to have to know all this material in this book. 
oh, by the way, you need to lower all these books. And I'm like, holy crap, how am I going to learn all that? Like, there's no way, you know? And really, all it took was plenty of repetition and learning from those failures that would happen no matter what. You're going to fail. You're, you're, you're going to slip up and say the wrong thing here and there. And you're human. That's why. You know, and I used to tell that to the students too, Ed. I used to say, I used to tell them, hey, listen, are you human? And they would, you know, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, so are your instructors, right? And sometimes we may make mistakes um, when we speak upon something. But that's not the time to point out somebody's mistake in front of everyone else. Instead, how about we learn from it together? And you bring that up, uh, you know, on the side. You know, what we talk about, praise in public, punish in private. To me, as an instructor, if I'm in front of a group of soldiers, 16 to 32 to 224, whatever it is, and I make a mistake, if somebody tries to make the correction in front of all those people and they do it in a manner that's just not, you know, uh, it's not conducive, I'm telling you, I'm going. it's going to feel a lot worse than if we're off on the side and we're just talking and they bring it up to me. Does that make sense? No, 100%. Yeah, it's... I mean, there's time and place for everything, right? Like when, you know, making corrections and people do make mistakes. Yeah. Um, and, and you can learn from that. So, yeah. yeah. All right. I made a correction and I didn't do it right. And then when you and I had that discussion, I learned from that. And then, you know, next time I let it de- de- develop me. I don't go, oh, Weber hates me. Uh, I can't work with them. That's not the attitude, you know. <laughs> Whatever. I-, I need to be moved. Yeah. No. Okay, this is what your expectation is. Now I'm clear on that. So let's move forward. It just helps you to grow and thrive in an organization, whether it be military, civilian. I, I, I don't care. Whatever it is, I mean, as a person in your family, the same thing. Like you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm divorced. I'm I'm divorced. I can let that define me. I'm never getting married again. But why? I, I enjoy being married and. All right, I got it right the second time, but I didn't let that because that was <laughs> to me that was a failure. Like my marriage failed. You know what I mean? Did, did I let that stop me? No. You learn from it. You grow from it. You know things that happened in that marriage. So we argued a lot. Let's you know, my wife and I, knock on wood, sound effects. Uh, we do not really argue. <laughs> so that was one of the things. I'm not arguing all the time because then you say things in the heat of the moment that you don't mean. And, you know, so I didn't let that to be, oh, this is it. You're terrible at marriage. I like to think I'm decent at it. I'd have to ask uh, Tam Tam for sure. But, yeah, I like to think I'm decent at it. So this has been interesting. I really didn't expect this episode to be as good as it has been, Brian. I, I thought it was going to be okay, but it has been really good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it, man. It's like every little topic that we do find to talk about, though, once we start reflecting upon it, I I find myself more engaged in that topic now, you know? And, and what, what I mean by that is, so we did the Science of Likeability episodes some time back. Um, when those came out, I had some people, I was listening to one because I like to, I also like to listen to it on the side too, because it kind of refreshes things and keeps me going. And somebody would hear it and they'd ask me, oh, is that your podcast? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me your phone. I'll put it on there for you. You know, that type of thing. Um, But (laughs) I like the idea of what we do and it's constantly, it's helping me help others. So when I was talking about the science likeability, like I was literally teaching people 
individuals about the science of likability, not only be through the podcast, but also through the book and this, and like, for instance, uh, behavior health, you that's uh, for those of you who don't know, behavior health are like the army psychologists and they do all kinds of things. Well, the behavior health people are in my unit. That's like that. They're tied to me. Um, so they work, they work for our unit. They work for the entire organization, but they, they are a tie. They're attached to my unit. So basically they're my soldiers. Well, one of them was at my office. Uh, she was up there to get a, a leave form, take care of whatever. And we got into a conversation about something. And I brought up the fact, you know, about like with the science of likability and I was explaining the book to her and no joke. All of a sudden she pulls out her phone and she's like, hold on, hold on. What was that called again? Cause I want to put it in my notes so I can buy it. I'm like, awesome. You know, cause, but I was able, I was, I had just listened to the episode. So it was sitting there on my brain and I was like, oh man, this is good stuff. And, and I happened to talk to her about it. And then I just happened to mention the episode that we're going to do next with um, which is about the Kevin Cruz book, uh, Great Leaders Have No Rules. I told her about that book and how that worked out. And she's like, oh, what was that again? And she wrote it down. And I was just like, man, it felt good to be able to provide somebody else with some good information, you know? Yeah, I absolutely. And this Great Leaders Have No Rules book, I'm so excited when we do that episode. It's going to be really um, – I, I don't know, Brian. I think we're, we're at 30 episodes. And I really think we're hitting our strive now. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're more than 30 now, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, we have 30 that are out as of yeah. today. Like, people don't realize. We're actually, this episode's 36, man. Yeah. Uh, we're we're getting <laughs> into it, and we're finding these different things. And it's just, you know, finding the time, too. You know, like, goodness, last week, we both kind of had to split ways, and we weren't able to record last week because we had different things. Kind of like, And then this week, we're like, hey, you know, we got this long weekend. Let's try to knock out what we can. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm enjoying it. Uh, but... I happen to come up with a task, and the crazy thing is, this task was already was giving to us via the article we used. Really? Uh, the article, once again, if you don't know, uh, we've already mentioned it. It's from the Green Notebook is the website. Um, you can also find it on Facebook. But the article is called "Turning Defeat into Development." Well, the very end of that article, it gives us a little task, and I want to give this same task to our listeners. All right, so where do we go, Ed? to find these tasks? Uh, well, I believe that you can find them in a variety of places, but I think if you go to Facebook search bar and put one Oh one influence, uh, you can find the task. Uh, and then I don't know, Brian, sometimes you do tend to put them on, uh, the gram. Sometimes you'll have them on Instagram one one influence. So there's a variety of ways, the website, but definitely Facebook one one influence in the search bar. And, uh, you can find these tasks. Absolutely. Join that group, answer our three questions to be a part of the group and join the group. So here's to this week's task for episode 36. Influence is learning from defeat. So the task is, do you have an example of when you turn defeat into development? And if so, please share it. And that's it. So what do you think, Ed? I, I think, man, that was a good one. I, we could have went on with this episode some more. Um, but no, another good one in the books, my friend. Yep. Our very next episode. Hey, hey, I'm excited for it. Next episode we're doing is the Kevin Cruz book that we have both talked about. And I can state for sure that we have both gone over that book multiple times. Yeah. I know it for a fact. <laughs> um, I've listened to it. I don't know how many times I've looked it over. I don't know how many times via Kindle. 
Uh, so just be prepared. If you haven't gotten it yet, get that book and check it out. You, If you get the audio version, you probably can listen to it in no time whatsoever. You can have it done in a couple yeah. car drives wherever you're going. I think it's, uh, and I'm just trying to off the top of my head, I believe it's five hours and some change for the audible version on the standard uh, rate of speech. Okay. All right. That's what I'm talking about, man. All right. Other than that, I don't have much more for the group. Um, Ed, do you have anything else? Uh, just continue to support, continue to listen, and look for some great new content coming your way. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We're going to have some announcements here and there. Uh, with that, I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Don't let defeat define you. Thank you very much. Have a great day.